Heavenly Father, as we gather here on this Reformation Day, we're very mindful of what Martin Luther has done for the Christian church at large. We pray today that we be faithful to the teachings of your word. We pray that we be faithful witnesses as well. In Jesus' name, amen. On June the 25th, In 1530, in Augsburg, Germany, a small group of uh, Lutheran princes uh, appeared before the most powerful man in the world. His name was Emperor Charles V. He was the head of the Holy Roman Empire. And at great risk to themselves and to the territories that these princes ruled, these men boldly stood before the emperor and confessed their faith. The emperor had called them to Augsburg to settle the disputes that had risen because of a troublesome monk by the name of Martin Luther. For it was Martin Luther who had nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany on October the 31st in 1517. Now, 13 years later, the emperor wanted the Lutheran princes to back down, to be quiet to come back to the Catholic fold and to not cause any more trouble in the Holy Roman Empire. But there at Augsburg that day before the emperor, these princes refused to back down. They stood their ground and they spoke clearly and unashamedly about what their church, this new church that came out of the Reformation, believed and taught and confessed. And in spite of all of the fears and the dangers, the princes knew what they believed. And they made a good confession that day. In fact, out of that came something that we find even in our Lutheran confession today. It's called the Augsburg Confession. When I remember that story, I think to myself, there's a question that comes to mind, and that's, who is willing to follow their example? To stand up boldly to believe teach and confess what the Word of God so clearly teaches us? Will we speak up or will we back down when called upon to give an answer for the hope that is in us? Will we bother to learn the words of Scripture? Will we bother to learn our faith well enough to know what to say? Or will we be content to just kind of muddle along with a confused and weak grasp of our Christian doctrine, never growing in knowledge or understanding. I mean, how important is it to us that the gospel be taught in its truth and purity and that our practice be in accord with it? How how important is that to us? These are questions that still confront us even on Reformation Day in 2009, 400 and some years removed from the initial date. The question I want to pose to you this morning partly is this. Why is this so important that we believe, teach, and confess the faith? Well, the simple answer is it's because the content of this Christian faith that we hold true in Scripture is the only saving faith there is. Now, I know that there's some people accuse us of being very narrow, of saying this is the only saving faith. But friends... If it's in the Word, where else do we turn? 
See, errors in doctrine or errors in practice can get us off that one true path that God has marked out for us. And if we're not careful, we can all wind up in the ditch or in some dead-end place called hell. Now, my purpose today on Reformation Sunday is to kind of discuss the various ways that people think that they can get to heaven. In fact, I, I'm going to call this, even though it's sola gracia, by grace alone, I, I'm going to call this how not to be saved. Now, I was giving my, my wife gave me a little hard time. She said, wouldn't it be better if you just were point blank and said, you're going to tell people how to go to hell? <laughs> and when she said that, I said, you know, if I were to stand up in church and say that, you would probably tell me I should have said how not to be saved. We had a kind of a joke about that last night. What was funny last night we talked about it, wasn't it? <laughs> I think so. But we're going to look at it from this point, is to talk about the various ways that people think they can go to heaven and see why these things really don't work. And one of the reasons I would do this is because I think that there are always some people that sit in church who might find themselves in one of these five camps I'm going to talk about. And I say that because not everybody has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So let me ask you, would you like to know how to go to heaven? Well, let's start with this. We're going to start with this one here. The first way not to get to heaven is to trust your good works. I asked a friend one time if he knew he was going to heaven and why God should let him go there. His answer was, oh, sure, I'm going to heaven. God's going to let me in. After all, I give turkeys to poor people every year at Thanksgiving, and I do other good stuff, too. Now, I wish I could have said, hey, congratulations, buddy. You made it into heaven. Way to go. Unfortunately, that's not what God's word says. In the reading that Jimmy shared with us before, and it's on your message outline as well, take a look back at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, God, I'm going to read this from a slightly different translation, but it says, God saved you by his special favor. That's his grace. For by grace you've been saved when you believe. And you can't take credit for us for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. All I'm saying, friends, is that no amount of charity, no amount of community service, no amount of kind words will ever add up to be enough to get you into heaven. I'm not saying you should never do good works. In fact, if you read a little further in Ephesians chapter 2, we're actually commanded to do them. In verse 10, it says, okay, good works aren't going to get you there, but, in verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he's planned for us to do long ago. See, just because we don't get into heaven by doing good works doesn't mean that we should not be doing them. In fact, verse 10, we're told to do them. They just simply don't get us into heaven. So if you want to not get to heaven... All you need to do is trust in your good works. Here's the second way. The next way not to get to heaven is to trust your traditions. Now, I'm a pretty big fan of traditions. Actually, you may not believe that, but I'm a big fan of traditions. Let me tell you a few of the traditions I love. I love singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. 
when I don't go to a baseball game. That's a great tradition. I love singing the national anthem with my hand over my heart at a ball game, particularly if my son is leading the singing. Another favorite tradition of mine is the all-American Sunday afternoon nap. Those are some traditions I really believe in. But what I'm talking about here are traditions of a religious nature. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more, more general terms about religion in a bit, but I want to talk about some specifics for just a minute. As I mentioned before, I, I like traditions. But if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. In their desire to serve and to please God, they added to the law of Moses hundreds of other laws. I mean, it was as if the Ten Commandments were not enough. They came up with 613 more commandments. And it came to the point that these guys were putting their faith not so much in God as they were in the traditions of man. Jesus even spoke about this in Matthew 15, 6. He said, by your own tradition, you nullify the direct commandment of God. So tradition, it seems, can get in the way of knowing what is behind the tradition. Let me give you an example. Many churches say the Lord's Prayer every service they have. Now, that's a really great tradition, but it can become a meaningless tradition if you don't know why that tradition started in the first place. I'm not going to tell you why the Lord's Prayer is typically used. You can figure that out for yourself. I'm kind of reminded of a story of a newly married couple. And when they were first married, the bride decided to fix a a special meal for her new husband. And she was going to uh, bake him a ham. But just before she put the ham in the pan... Uh, she cut off both ends of the ham, and her husband asked her why she did it, and she said, well, that's the way my mother did it. Well, the next time they visited her mother, uh, he asked, well, why do you cut the ends off both ends of the ham before you bake it? And her answer was the same as her daughter's. Well, that's the way my mother always did it. Well, this got the young man pretty curious, and so the next time he was with his wife's grandma, He said, I just want to know, why do you cut off the end of the ham before you bake it? And her answer was straightforward and simple. She said, because my pan was so small, that's the only way it would fit. (laughs) See, the tradition started out for a good reason, but it was lost over time. Let me give you another example. A new pastor came to the church and And everybody was happy to have this new pastor after having the old one for many years. But in a couple of weeks, it seemed as if the people were a little bit distant. He didn't quite know what was wrong. And so he talked to one of the old time members. And he said, you know, I realize I'm new. And I realize the last pastor here was here a long time. uh, But it appears that I'm offending people. What is it? And the older elders said, well, it's because you don't touch the radiator during communion. And he said, I what? He said, you, because you don't touch the radiator up here in the front before communion. And he didn't understand it all, so he finally called the old retired pastor and he said, 
the people here, I've offended them. They said because of something silly like, I don't touch the radiator before communion. And the old pastor laughed and he said, well, <laughs> here's the deal. He said, when we had communion and I walked across that carpet, I would build up static electricity. <laughs> and so before I would have the first person there, I would reach over and ground myself with the radiator to remove the static electricity. But for these people, the tradition of touching the radiator almost became more important than the receiving of the precious body and blood of Jesus Christ. See, friends, tradition, no matter how wonderful it is, does not get you into heaven. So if you want to make sure you don't get there, just follow it. Well, here's the third, the, the, the third way, and that is to trust your religion. Now, we come here every Sunday morning to give God honor in worship and to listen to his word so that we can learn how to be better servants to him. Now, too many people actually come to church for only three reasons. To be hatched, matched, and dispatched. In other words, they come to be baptized, they come to get married, and they come to have their funeral service at the church. You think about that, the first time they throw water on you, the second time they throw rice, and the third time they throw dirt. Well, friends, you cannot trust your church to get you into heaven. You cannot trust your denomination, no matter how good it might be, to get you into heaven. Your baptism, or whoever baptized you, or whoever confirmed you, or your communion, you can't trust your Bible reading, when you put your trust in your religious activities, rather than a right relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you run the risk, you run the danger of becoming a hypocrite. See, hypocrites are very religious on the outside. They've got the very appearances of being something that they're probably not, but they're still corrupt on the inside. They follow these religious traditions, man-made teachings, instead of the Word of God. Now, Jesus had something to say about these folks, too, in Matthew 15. He said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Their worship is a farce, for they replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. All I'm saying, I guess, is this, that there are a lot of people who think that just because they go to church on Sunday, or just because they were baptized, or just because they take communion, or or whatever, that somehow they're okay with God. And they got a free ticket into heaven. Sadly, friends, that's not what God says either. In fact, God says that the righteousness that we bring on our own is nothing but filthy rags. See, we have nothing in the way of true religion to offer God. So trust your religion if you want to make sure that you're not going to heaven. Well, here's the fourth way not to get to heaven, and that's to trust your nationality. I listen to this because I've heard this occasionally. I've heard people say, well, I'm an American. Of course I'm a Christian. Well, being an American does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. See, being an American, just think about this. We have a huge Muslim population here in America today. 
Let me ask you this question. Are they Christians because they become Americans? I don't think so. The Jews had the same problem. They thought that just because they were Jews in Israel, they were entitled to God's favor. That makes about as much sense as they thought that just because they were Lutherans living in Texas, they somehow deserved God's favor. Yet when the truth about Jesus came, they rejected it because they had no need for Jesus. Why? Well, because they were already Jewish. Listen to how Paul and Barnabas responded to this in Acts chapter 13. They said, we had to speak the word of God to you first, but since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. See, friends, Jesus came into this world not... Well, I should just put it this way. Jesus came into this world. He didn't come just for white folk. He came into this world so that the entire world, whether they are red or yellow, black and white, would have the opportunity to go to heaven if they just respond to his offer of eternal life. So I'd say go ahead and trust your nationality if you want, but it's not going to get you to heaven. Here's the fifth way not to get to heaven, and that's to trust your background. Now, this relates somewhat to the last point, but I want to just kind of drive it a little bit deeper by moving from nationality to families. The point is this, friends, that godly ancestors, godly parents are not going to get you into heaven. I don't care whether your great-grandma and grandpa founded this church. I'm glad they did but it's not going to get you into heaven. We're not going to get to the pearly gates someday and say, well, my parents were Christians. That's good enough, right? Well, Jesus says we're going to have to answer for ourselves. Our parents can't answer for us. I mean, Jesus, when he was dealing with this issue, had to correct the wrong thinking the Jews had who thought their ancestry would somehow give them favor to God. In Luke 3, he says, Prove by the way you live that you have really turned from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say, we're safe, we're the descendants of Abraham. That proves nothing. He said, God can change these stones into the children of Abraham. I'm always interested in presidential elections. In fact, I'm always interested in in all kinds of elections, particularly when people come to talk about religion and their faith. I have very little regard for people who say, my religion has nothing to do with my, my public life. Those people are so dead wrong, they're not even worth talking about. I'm sorry. There are other people, though, when they open their mouth about their religion, kind of show exactly where they are. I remember one time back, I think it was 1984, Walter Mondale uh, ran for president. He was running against Ronald Reagan. I think it was Reagan's second term. During the presidential debate, the issue of religion came up, and when Walter Mondale was asked about his religious position, he, his answer was this, well, my dad was a minister. That was it. And I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, he evidently thinks he's getting in on his dad's coattails. But friends, you've got to understand, it's not how you grew up, it's what you do with Jesus. I mean, my children and my grandson are not going to be able to use my credentials as a pastor to get them into heaven. 
I mean, for them to stand at the door of heaven someday and say, hey, dad was a pastor. Jesus would look at him and go, well, good for him. What about you? I mean, he's going to ask us all the same questions someday at judgment. What did you do with my son, Jesus? So the question then, friends, is how do you get to heaven? I've given you five ways not to, and and a lot of those you can look at and say, well, they're kind of no-brainers. We knew that. But I think it's good to remind ourselves from time to time because sometimes we fall into those five categories. The truth is that none of them will give us favor with God allowing us into heaven. One of the things that I have challenged you to do, and I know it's one of the things that Nancy has challenged me and the women in this congregation to do in the year and a half plus that we have been here, and that is to get into God's word. To get into God's word. Because it's in God's word in a Bible study and in your independent reading of God's word that you find out what it is that we believe and what we teach and what we confess. In fact, starting in the month of November, I'm going to start a new series of messages called What We Believe, Teach, and Confess. And to dig in the Bible a little bit deeper and say, why is it that we baptize people? Why is it that we commune? And on and on, some of the basic doctrines. See, the key of getting into God's Word, whether it's in a women's Bible study or whether it's a Sunday morning Bible study, and right now, I'm going to mention Lynn, I don't mean to embarrass you, but, you know, I sat in a Bible class this morning, and you know, I heard Dennis say before, if you weren't here for Beyond the Ashes, you missed something special. Well, if you weren't in an adult Bible class this morning in, in, in the study of, of, of parables, you missed something too. You learn a little bit more about what we believe, teach, and confess. See, the real key here is to see what God says, and particularly what God has to say about going to heaven. Because you're going to spend way more time in eternity than you will ever spend on this earth. So how do we get to heaven? There's really only one way. I put a couple of Bible passages up there for you. They're they're on your message outline. Let me just read to you the one from Romans chapter 10. It says, Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message we preach, is already within easy reach. In fact, the scriptures say, The message is close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. Then here it comes. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, it's just that simple. Let me read that again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... If you believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right there, you've got what you believe and what you confess. Now, what we want to do is to continue and teach that to other people. It goes on to say, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Friends, you can do nothing except Trust the work that Christ has done for you. And how do you trust Christ? Simply by calling out to him. Believing that he has done everything necessary to get you into heaven. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, friends, like Martin Luther and so many others down through the ages, you and I have the same gospel giving us life. 
We have the same Savior freeing us from fear. We have the same Heavenly Father watching over us. And we have the same Holy Spirit empowering us. I've been a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod for all 65 years of my life. I can't envision being anywhere else. I'm not saying that other people in other churches are not going to heaven. Don't get me wrong. No way would I ever say that we are better than anyone else. But what I will say is I'm proud of the fact that we are a Bible-believing, Bible-confessing, Bible-teaching church. There are three phrases that Martin Luther made very popular, and maybe this is what I'm going to be talking about in the months to come, too. He said it is sola fide. It is simply by faith alone. It is sola scriptura. It is by scripture alone. It is sola gratia, by grace alone. That's how one makes their way into heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for Martin Luther and for the many people who followed after him, who have made it a point of learning what it was your word had to say, believing it, teaching it, and confessing it. We pray that we will be faithful in this task as well. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, who saved us from all of our sins. Amen.